Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy. And today on the show, we've got an amazing guest, as always. He is a professor at the University of Hull, a sports psychologist, and an anti-doping expert. Welcome to the show, Adam Nichols. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me to be on the podcast. Yeah, excited to talk to you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I ran across your book. This is amazing, the, the stuff you're doing here. And uh, you're you're quite seasoned now. You've got 85 published journal articles and four books out. Uh, your your recent one, or, or the one that, that most people are going to, is uh, Psychology for Coaches. Theory and Practice has also... It's, it's been translated into three languages now as well so, so yeah so we've got it in english and then arabic and hungarian wow. uh, it's a, yeah it's pretty amazing i never really expected that when i we're on to the third edition now as well so oh jeez, yeah, yeah. That, that is great yeah. and uh what sort of feedback have you been getting and from from which people yeah it's interesting so i've had some it, really some good feedback from both coaches who are interested in deploying psychological training also increasing you know increasing their coaching kind of efficacy and sort of what they're doing sort of creating a, an optimal environment for their athletes and all the way through to psychologists who are who are using aspects of the book it's kind of very very much applied and but in but also research focused and evidence-based so i I've, I've been really careful in you know ensuring that the book's Got the most up-to-date research, but it's presented in a way that coaches, applied psychologists, and you know, generally people who don't have access to all the latest research because all journals are behind paywalls, so that they can use it in, in what they do. So yeah, I've had some really, really positive feedback on you know on, on the different chapters. So yeah, you know, I'm blown away by it to be honest. Nice now. In this, uh, what can people expect? What are kind of the the chapters or the the themes that uh, people hone in on, whether they're a coach or a psychologist? Yeah, so each chapter has a specific format in which it goes through kind of the latest definitions, the latest research, and has a case study in which the the information that's presented in the chapter is documented in a, how it would be used in a, in a real world setting, and there's lots of different chapters it's covering things such as coaching uh, children coaching adolescents how to analyze the needs of athletes how to build a coach athlete relationship how to develop the, the correct or an optimal environment which we call a motivational climate through to how coaches can help develop their athlete leaders and create these shared leadership models within a within a team all the way through to things such as uh, how to give mental imagery training, and then finally things such as uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction training. So there's a real broad range of psychological topics uh, in the book. Wow. Now walk us through basically um, if you if you have an athlete in front of you, what you do for things like uh, perfectionism or. Uh, other things that really hinder athletes and, and hold them back from success. Yeah, so so perfectionism is a, 
kind of like a fixed, per, well, it's a personality trait, which can actually cause athletes who have it severe uh, mental health problems uh, mm. because they're striving for standards, which quite often are, you know, just unattainable. And that causes them significant, uh, significant amount of stress. They're much more likely to burn out. So, so really, it's about helping an athlete kind of understand what triggers their perfectionism. Uh, uh, thoughts and feelings because there's some athletes there'll be certain factors it might be uh, knowing that they're coming up to a, an important period of matches concerned about certain you know what they perceive as big big competitions uh, so it's, it's really about identifying the triggers and so that would involve working with an athlete maybe asking them to keep sort of a diary about their perfectionism feelings uh, or perfectionistic behaviours. Uh, so this could be, for example, you might have a, a, a golfer or a footballer who spent, you know, many many hours specifically working, say, on their shooting or their putting. And I mean, like, and I mean many hours, like, you know, it's like kind of being like excessive amounts of hours. So you know, a normal say striker might spend, you know, I don't know, thirty minutes after training and forty-five minutes after training. On his shooting practice, whereas okay. an athlete perfection tendency might be out there for hours and hours. And never- but isn't that promoted in sports? Is that you have to be near perfect? You have to spend all this time. Um, where really is this line of the the athlete enjoying the sport versus uh, turning it into a job or career? Yeah, and I think that that's a really great point and a really interesting point. And it is there. I suppose it depends on what level we talk about. But if you're talking, you know, professional athletes, semi-professional athletes, yeah, there is an expectation from coaches that they will get their shooting right, that they will. So not that coaches are pushing athletes to do that, but the, the environment that they're in almost creates this, this perfectionism sort of behaviors and tendencies. Uh, and that is, a, you know, that is a problem because, you know, it can lead to... In, Anxiety among players, anger, if, because they're never satisfied with, right. with what they're doing. Uh, and it, so, you know, so what sort of other mental health aspects are, are you seeing in your research with athletes? So the most, the most common now are anxiety and depressive states. Depression, as well. okay. Yeah, depressive and anxiety states. So we conducted a a, a large, well, I'd say, large scale study with we. So in England, we have two forms of professional rugby, rugby union and rugby league. Right. So we survey what we call the top league of professional rugby league players within the United Kingdom. Uh, we, uh, we, we, I think we had over 300 professional rugby league players and we assessed them for anxiety, depression states and psychological well-being. And then we compared them to normative figures of the general population and professional rugby league players scored significantly higher for both anxiety and depressive states than the general population of similar age males within the UK and lower levels of well-being. So these are pro athletes um, and obviously a contact sport. Um, What were some of the root causes of this depression? Was it the pressures of the sport? Was it maybe the head knocks and concussions, um, lifestyle, what what sort of led to the, the depression? 
Well, see, this is the thing. We we just did a we did a study, so we only looked at uh, the uh, uh, the the actual results rather than actual specific causes. But there are a number of factors. So, as you mentioned, concussion is related to particularly anxiety and depression. So, an athlete who's had a a concussion is is they're much more likely to have they're twenty percent more likely to have a depressive or anxiety depressive depressive mood or right. anxiety after having a concussion. And obviously that you know factors in the severity of the concussion, the frequency, the the number of public concussions as well. And I think we really as, as researchers we're only kind of getting to to really understand that the mental health among athletes and, and what what are the potential triggers uh, for some of these these states? But I think it was also uh, career uncertainty in the uh, sense that within within the UK rugby league, that the salaries are good, but they're not salaries that the, the players can you know retire on when they're right, they're career. not there yet. No, no, nowhere near. No. Certainly, I think rugby league and rugby union they're good salaries, but Contracts are typically short, one to two years for good players, maybe three or four years for exceptional players, but and less for other players. And they right. know that they're one injury away from having their you know contract terminated. So it's hmm. I think it's a number of factors that that contribute to those those findings of anxiety and depression right. states. Now, what are you finding with these athletes or have you kind of seen that uh, kind of post-career then um, kind of the the transition period um, out of their sport? Um, would these scores or would you predict these scores to, to skyrocket then as well? Yeah, because if, you, if you'd imagine, these are the scores that, that the current players have. So all of them were current professional players. Are you ready to take your brain health to a brand new, higher level than ever before? Then please check out thehardybrain.ca and inquire about our virtual brain health intensive programs. Yeah, because if, you, if you'd imagine, these are the scores that, that the current players have. So all of them were current professional players. And uh, so I did a bit of work working with their, their well-being officers. I think rugby league is quite advanced in the sense of the, the, the care that they have for players in clubs. All clubs have welfare officers. Oh, uh, oh. Charity, yeah, charity called Rugby League Cares, which supports the players both during and post-career. And um, yeah, one thing they said is that yeah, the, the 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 figures would be much much higher. And there is actually kind of a you know, a number of high-profile players in recent years have committed suicide due to uh, mental health problems. Jeez. So it's... And, and again, you don't... I think rugby league has fewer reported concussions than rugby union. It's not to say that, that the sports don't have them because they're slightly different sports. Right. So, I, 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 you know, the concussions are important, but I think there's probably, you know, there's probably a little bit more to it than that. And if you think about it as well, you go from... You know, being the peak of your career, playing in front of you know up to sort of sixty, seventy thousand fans, or the adulation you get. Yeah. You know, you're that star player. So then, you know, two weeks later after retirement, it's like, well, you know, what have you got, sort of thing. And that's, and I think this is 
this is a big issue, I think, in a lot of team sports. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, cricket, well, one of my friends. Let's uh, let's look at that though. There's this huge draw, obviously, of being this this star athlete and playing in front of so many people and all the the respect that you you get from fans and the 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 triumph and everything that draws us to sports and that makes sports amazing. Um, it kind of segues into what you're doing with your anti-doping as well, though, is that especially in these contact sports, there's a huge drive um, behind the scenes for people to, to dope, to, to use steroids, to become bigger and, and faster, fitter. Um, there's so much pressure on these athletes for that, as we've mentioned as well. Um, but kind of what's going on with sports and how clean or how dirty are, are sports when it comes to to uh, using performance enhancing drugs. Yeah, a couple of things first. Uh, uh, rugby league and rugby union within the United Kingdom have the highest number or percentage of positive, of, of bans, essentially. Oh, okay. Wow. So they're the two main sports uh, that feature highest on the, the band list. And, and that's obviously, you know, they want to be faster, stronger, but it's also recovering faster from an injury. So they can yes. return quicker. Now, now, in terms of how clean a sport, so the World Anti-Doping Agency published their figures on a yearly basis, and they estimate around two to three percent—not they estimate—around two to three percent of athletes provide failed drug tests, so test positive for a banned substance. Right. However, these are just the the testings, though. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. During um, the off seasons, there's no testing, correct? In most, uh, no, there is random testing. But, but okay. there was a study published in 2018 by athletes, by Ulrich and colleagues, by, among athletes who competed at World Athletics Championship. And up to 50% of those admitted uh, um, conduct, uh, making a, a, an anti-doping rule violation or committing an anti-doping rule violation. So WADA are capturing around 3% of athletes. Yeah, some research estimates up to 50% up, up of athletes may be committing an anti-doping rule violation right so the well, is, that that admitted though so wouldn't that number be even higher yeah they they use quite a clever technique called random randomized response technique which is quite a novel way of of actually kind of it, it's a bit more accurate than just people admitting to it it's quite a i don't understand the mathematics of it all but it's but yeah, it's a pretty clever way way in which they did it. It was all anonymous, so it, yeah, it may be higher. But but one thing we do know is it's certainly higher than the two to three percent that uh, right. are caught testing, which shows that that the fear of testing alone is not is not really working uh, to to make the clean sport up. Okay. Now, obviously, you're finding some sports are going to be cleaner or dirtier than others correct um what would kind of be um the the top sports um you mentioned rugby of course but other sports where people are probably using performance enhancing um there obviously was the cycling uh debacle way back uh, with lance armstrong so it's not just contact sports right it's also endurance sports that that different substances obviously but What's kind of the trends within each? So typically, 
typically it's the power-based sports that have the highest prevalence of doping. So I mentioned rugby, but powerlifting, weightlifting. And then if you look at certain positions within sports, so for example, American football, those in which power is say more important, power size, mass strength, there's higher, actually higher prevalence of steroid abuse among, among key positions. Uh, being a being a Brit, I'm not exactly sure of all the the different positions, but I do remember reading quite an interesting study on that. And then also, then you look at sort of the endurance sports, like I mentioned, where blood doping, uh, and yeah, and then also, and there's probably things going on that that you know testers aren't aware of. When you look at instances where athletes have blown the whistle on on substances that they've taken, they're quite often a ahead of the curve. So they're taking things that, that WADA and National Anti-Doping Organisations don't know exist. So, and that, that's obviously a, a problem. Wow. So with all these things that are coming up that they don't know exist, um, what has kind of been the trend with potential health consequences with these? We kind of know a little bit about what can happen with steroids and yeah. some other um, drugs causing like, um, well, endurance sports, um, issues with, with heart, uh, conditions later in life. Um, but what are some of the, the health concerns that we'd want to keep athletes clean and, and protect yeah. them? So interesting. So you mentioned steroids, there's actually a few things coming. I'll, go, I'll talk about steroids and then I'll listen. But in terms of steroids, there's some research that's been published in the last sort of year about how it impacts brain health. People have abused steroids for a number of years, are much more likely to experience premature brain injury, decreased problem-solving ability. Mm. Uh, wow. And then, yeah, so, uh, there's, there's new kind of new information coming up all the time. But then if you look at other performance-enhancing drugs, so things such as uh, increased risk of cancer, heart problems, uh, infertility, particularly among well, both males and females, Okay. I remember chatting to a, a rugby coach once. He coached an, an international female side, and they had a, a an anti-doping official come out and give a presentation. And the the the, the official revealed that, that, that some you know some some of the key performance enhancing drugs, steroids, that sort of thing, can cause infertility, but the infertility is permanent, and the players were permanent. Completely, yeah, permanent infertility wow. among females, and the players were. I think some of them are quite shocked and obviously scared about that. So the side effects are just, they're just, the side effects of performance on the drugs are massive. And then that's not even touching sort of the mental health, mental health side. So, yeah, so people have taken steroids are two to four times more likely to commit suicide than an athlete who hasn't taken steroids. Wow, that is... That's a massive increase there. Jeez. And it's concerning. You know, it really is concerning. And then you have, so, and another issue with with drugs is the way in which they're used. So, for example, uh, the process is called like blasting and cruising. So normally when individuals take steroids, they'll cycle on and cycle off. But actually, there's right. a trend where individuals are actually taking very, very high dosage steroids. Oh. And they're not cycling off, but cruising and taking a lower amount. So they're constantly yeah. on steroids all the time. And this is 
this is yeah causing serious serious problems. What what are some of the serious problems that, that are showing up in in these verses? Maybe someone who just has done one or two cycles. Yeah, ultimately it's uh, things such as suicide, ideation, attempting uh, suicide, and actually uh, uh, mortality at a younger age. So Whoa. premature death, and and certainly much higher risk of, uh, of cancers as well. So right. liver and cancer in particular. Hmm. So, and then also along with like the mood disorders as well. So it's just it's massive. from both a physical and mental health perspective, it's they're very very dangerous. Which I guess is why I'm always, you know, when when people have the the argument, oh well, let's make all all drugs legal, and then but that, but actually, you've really got to consider the athlete here, and you know, and and if you did that, it's like. Oh, of course, if you're 18 years, 18 years old, you've got a chance to be a you know a professional athlete. You're not going to probably say no, but you're not really thinking about the long, your long-term health. Right. Now, what about for um, athletes or um, kind of uh, population in general? Um, the the big trend out there is for uh, hormone replacement or, or testosterone later in life. Um, is that kind of being abused as well, or is that maybe something that's healthy to an individual at that age? Yeah, I think more of a psychologist rather than a, you know, kind of a medical perspective. But I certainly think in certain sports, massively abused. So I, I compete in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, and I think in that sort of sport, it's, you know, I'd say it's a bit of a problem. I think anecdotally, in terms of yeah, the numbers of people who are who are taking testosterone? I think, I suppose, if it if it's taken under the supervision of a, a you know qualified physician, then I think then they can monitor it, the effects. But I think quite often it it's not. It's you know it's the pseudo scientists who are, who claim to be experts and on different banned substances, which uh, you know which can cause a problem. And since people can be taking things such as testosterone. Uh, without actually monitoring the impact it's having on their health, right, and, and that's the problem. And another problem is as well is the quality of the of the ingredients when it's bought on the black market. You know, the key question is: is it is it pharmaceutical grade? Right. If you speak to anyone who uh, who has taken things such as testosterone, you know, they'll all say uh, it comes from a chemist or not a chemist, but it's pharmaceutical grade. But actually, when there's, there's been studies published which have examined uh, the, the ingredients uh, on you know black market substances, banned substances, quite often they're not, they don't have what they claim to have in them. The ingredients don't match. Essentially, they're not pharmaceutical grade. So, and that's and that's another problem with this, the, the you know the black market of, of performance enhancing drugs. Right. Absolutely. Now, how accurate is all this testing? Um, that um, while well, you've you've worked with uh, the International Olympic Committee, the European Commission, um, so what are sort of the the claims uh, behind the testing? Um, are we very accurate with them? Um, are there kind of these delays that that people can cheat them? Um, yeah, and... I think if they're testing for a substance that they're aware of and that's coming on the ban list, they're they're very accurate. You know, okay. they they can detect. Uh, we looked. At, we we created a 
part of an international link committee project I ran. We, I, they funded me to develop an education program for elite adolescent athletes because they're the they're the, the athletes who are most at risk of, of taking banned substances. And part of that, we actually kind of provided information, and it, it's something ridiculous. Like essentially, if you imagine an Olympic-sized swimming pool, you have a tiny drop of say a banned substance, mm-hmm. say steroids, the testers can pick that up. It's something ridiculous like that. It's they're so so refined, so accurate. They're, but the the key the key is it's like our athletes taking things that are currently banned. You see, this is the thing they might be taking things that they're not currently testing for. But yeah, yeah. I think that the tests are. And then again, I think it also varies from from country to country because if you look, well, I follow kind of world anti-doping, WADA, news, and certain countries lose their laboratory accreditation, which probably due to maybe lack of, of uh, you know, inferior, well, certain things going on which are not, are not, are not compliant to WADA's high standards. But, but I think generally, yeah, I think, if, if, yeah, you, you can't get away with it if you, if you take it, unless it's obviously cleared your system. And I know different drugs have different amounts of times in which, in which they clear a system. Right, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. kind of, well, let, let's hit on the, the first one then. Um, what about uh, athletes that um, have said they they mistakenly took something and that the testing so accurate it picked it up? Is is that actually a thing then? Yeah, that that is quite common. Uh, and then I think that's sometimes why you see kind of reduced reduced bands. Uh, there's been a number of instances. I think uh, Tyson Fury, the boxer, he said he'd eaten some un- uncastrated wild boar, which explain why he tested positive i think it was something like nandrol or some, something like that okay uh, uh, so i don't know uh I, and and you know when i speak to coaches about this then uh, they often say no athlete will ever admit to taking bland substance they'll always say right. it's a contaminated supplement and and, and this is, and, and, and sometimes it, you know it really can be uh, again there's another analysis in in the uk i don't know about america but in the united kingdom supplement industry is unregulated right. so there's no there's no body to say you know to, to ensure that what a, an, a company says is in their ingredients list is actually is actually true and i think it's something like about 40 percent of sports related supplements are contaminated with banned substances really it's now are these, are these kind of supplement uh products that uh we we wouldn't think are performance enhancing or the well, snuck in somehow. Yeah, protein, creatine, and quite often you see a lot of the, the band substances are kind of made at the same or involved in the same factories and everything. So there is a way of, of getting around this and it's uh, you kind of there's certain websites which back which show which supplements are batch tested. So okay. if you're if you're an athlete on a an, an anti doping you know, program or drug testing list. The only supplements you should be taking are those that are batch tested. So you've pretty much got proof that if you do suffer a banned test, you know, you've got, you know, you can say that they're the only supplements you've been taking. Right. Now, probably out there too, there's probably supplements that are performance enhancing that are legal, but on the the anti-doping list. Am, am I correct on that? Uh, well, there are substances that are yes, 
that, sorry, so the substances that are performance enhancing, but not on the band test. So things like creatine, for right. example. Creatine is not a banned substance, but it can have, perform, you know, certainly in power sports, so weightlifting, rugby union. So you can take things like creatine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Caffeine, again, is a performance enhancing substance, which is not on the banned list. Right, yeah, that would be a hard one to ban. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It would, but then there are a lot of stimulants. Other stimulants are, yeah, they're right. generally banned substance. So let's let's dive into maybe the countries that are uh, starting to take flack from the Western world um, on developing more performance enhancing products, or even going into maybe the the genetic side of things. Um, which is a whole new new ball of <laughs> messed up uh, ethics there, um, potentially. Um, so what are the kind of these potential risks? Uh, Russia and, of course, China kind of pop up, but mainly Russia here. Um, what What is going on in, in those nations and, uh, and with uh, kind of these, these things that have been tossed out there in the, in the, common media or, or uncommon media here yeah it's hard to know about russia uh and china but they're two countries in which there have been whistleblowers in which have come out and said there is kind of state-sponsored uh anti-dope or sorry state-sponsored doping within their countries that is there's lots and lots of athletes who are taking performance enhancing drugs which are supplied to them by their sporting organizations Right. Uh, the film, the film Icarus is really good, and it kind of documents the the whistleblower who was the head of the Russian anti-doping agency, and he explains right. how, yes. yeah, how it, how it, how it's what went down. And I guess now, who knows what's going on in in those countries now, uh, and to what extent uh, things are cleaner now. I think are Russia still banned from competing? They were, they were banned from the last Olympic, weren't they? So I don't think they were there. Right. So yeah, I don't, I don't really know what, yeah, going on. So this is more state uh, focused, I guess, uh, or country focused, uh, as we mentioned. But there's all sorts of private labs and and uh, people all around the world trying to to find the next product and uh, get that extra advantage. Um, where is the science behind the scenes um, going with all these substances that uh, the anti-doping committees aren't aware of yet? Um, what are they developing and uh, the, the trends that, that we're seeing there? I, th- I think the problem with, with anti-doping uh, testing is that, the, as I say, the testers are always one step behind. They can't create tests to kind of work out uh, what, you know, to test for a substance that they don't know about, and that's always the problem. Uh, we athletes now is now the biological passport, which is is an attempt to to reduce or eliminate things such as gene doping, and also just to track the extent to which athletes' bodies have changed, and whether that is kind of would be from banned substances, banned methods, or you know through natural progression of training, but it. It is a, it's a constant fight for anti-doping body, uh, organizations because they're always, you know, one step behind. You know, these laboratories, like you say, they're they're all over the all over the world where there's, you know, different people looking to gain uh, an an unfair advantage. 
Uh, there was a Salzar, I think the uh, the athletics trainer wasn't he was based in America, who was Salzar something like that. He was training quite a lot of the distance runners, Mopar he trained, and you know producing stuff that was yeah. So it's just yeah, it, it's so difficult. I think it really is. Hmm. So um, are they moving more to kind of the biologics then with uh, with new performance? enhancing and uh what would be kind of the potential uh harms or or even maybe benefits from from something different in comparison to to what's been out there yeah i guess the the benefits will always be you know faster higher stronger recovering from injury more quickly uh uh, uh increasing the longevity of an athlete's career in terms of when they can perform at, at the highest level it really is just uh, I say a kind of worms in terms of what what could potentially be out there and, right. and I thought no one really knows because it's all you know hidden behind you know behind sort of closed doors isn't it I guess right um, yeah. yeah but I thought like, there's, there's massive movement in terms of education now so the World Olympic World Anti Doping Agency, the International Olympic Committee, the European Commission are really moving now on, on generating uh, educational programs. So I've I've developed a few. Uh, one was funded by the European Commission, which we developed. Uh, we created a mobile application called Anti Doping Values in Coach Education, which okay. can be downloaded iOS and uh, Android. And it was okay. about yeah, yeah. state that one again because I think it's important that, okay. that anyone yeah. listening but, knows where to get it. Yeah, so the, I'll just give the website really, and then it's advice.org. So www.advice.org. And from there, it tells you about the project and how you can download the app. And essentially, this is an app for coaches. Uh, it's available in six, six or seven languages, including Russian, actually, because we had a okay. Russian. <laughs> a Russian member on the team, and uh, and it's about teaching, giving coaches an awareness of what performance enhancing drugs are, how they can create environments which make the use of drugs less likely among athletes, what happens, what they can do if uh, an athlete approaches them about performance enhancing drugs, because we know that that coaches are one of the main sources of of information and. and has a massive impact on whether an athlete will or will not uh, take a banned substance, but they have very little or no education, certainly at lower level entries where they have no no training in, in coach education on, on doping. So that was why we right. created we oh, created that right. uh, Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No. What a valuable tool, and that's yeah. I just gotta commend you on the on the things you're doing here with the anti-doping and the education side of things and uh it it seems like it, it is a very uphill battle to to kind of be fighting um what has kind of been some of the pushback that that you've uh, seen or felt yeah so, so i say i've had quite a few funded projects now and the biggest pushback is people do not want to be involved in anti-doping research they don't wow. want to touch it. And I, I mean, schools, sports clubs, sports federations. They just, they don't want us conducting anti-doping. And given that we're, we're very much 
and pro anti doping, you know, pro clean sport, clean values. And they just when you, as soon as you mention the phrase doping and like that, no, we're not uh, we're not allowing you to advertise your study here or conduct the research here. And that's been that's been really common. So it's it difficult. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, a challenge when conducting this this type of research. You know, in comparison to my early part of my career where I conducted stress and coping research, it's where it was you know never problematic to recruit athletes and organisations. But with doping, it's definitely much harder. Hmm. Now, would that go down into kind of more of the the minor leagues or into like high school sports as well? Um, when when are they able, maybe, or starting to to dope? Right. So there's been one study has found that uh, that some athletes before their twelfth birthday in America had taken steroids. But what is that? Mean? Uh, oh, I... Before their birthday in in America, some athletes, American football players, or those mm-hmm. who were playing American football, so before their twelfth birthday, first taken steroids. Wow. Generally, the trend, yeah, it's crazy. Generally, the trend is as adolescence increases, the age of adolescence increases, the prevalence of banned substance increases too. Right. Um, and WADA, particularly con- World Anti-Doping Agency, are concerned about those who are on the cusp of this elite level or professional level or or, or talent pathway. So in England, it would be securing a you know a sports scholarship. In America, it might be a you know collegiate you know, course, you know, division right. where they the athletes perceive that, you know, by taking some steroids or growth hormones or whatever it may be, that that'll allow them to, to get onto this, this program. And they're the they're the athletes who are the most susceptible and the most at risk. So it, it goes on at a young age. Definitely. Wow, that is it is and it's not steroids, things such as growth hormones well, particularly in more of the contact sports. And I know there is an issue with that in, in certain sports within England as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you, you see it in college athletes. It's sometimes bigger than professional um, yeah. in, in the U.S. there. It is a massive, massive undertaking. And uh, yeah. yeah, and I think the giveaway is it's off, it's often sort of like, you know, you see changes in athletes very, very quickly, or you can do um, again, I remember chatting to another coach once, and and he was, you know, there's some player who was, I don't know, not made a, a professional team at 18 or the junior team, this sort of thing. And obviously, he'd gone away in the summer, and they they assume he'd been on growth hormones because quite a few of the players were always like, he'd been on the growth. So they all knew what growth hormones were, and they, they, their nickname is growth here in the UK. And, Right. Yeah. Uh, and it and it and it goes on, unfortunately. You know, I think it it's naive for people to think that young athletes and young people who go to gyms are not doping, and, and because some of them are. Yeah, absolutely. Hmm. So, what do you think would be the the solution for for this to to keep athletes safe and uh, I think to it, improve their it, mental health in the future? Yeah, so in terms of doping, it's, it's, it's a multi, multi-faceted approach. So it involves coaches. So coaches being made aware of what the different substances are, how they can clean sport up, how they can promote clean sport. 
it's about educating teachers as well, particularly within school sports, uh, educating athletes as well. You know, many, many athletes do not receive any anti-doping education at all. Uh, and that, you know, that's a shame. It's not a shame, it's a travesty because athletes are completely, or many young athletes are completely unaware of the dangers of taking banned substances have on their health. So I think education, for me, is the most important factor. Right. Uh, yeah, none of these substances are going to come with a warning label. No, <laughs> absolutely not, no. And, and what people see is they'll, they'll go on the internet and they'll see some, you know, famous, Instagrammer or someone on TikTok who who talks about the benefits of a particular substance or a particular nutritional product or whatever it may be, but they don't talk about, like you say, the the, the dangers of taking them, the dangers right. of taking them, not just in the long term but the short term, and also as well as as well as the impact it would have on them uh, if they experience if they get banned from their sport. Right. You know the shame embarrassment and the guilt they will experience for their for their parents and that's that's one thing that we did in our anti-doping program for the young athletes was you know we showed them videos of, of young athletes who have experienced bands and, and how it made them feel and the, the consequences of that and also the consequences of the ban on their life you know they're banned for four years they can't play sport at any level any level whatsoever so all of a sudden the thing that they've done because they love it and enjoy it something they can no longer do anymore they can't socialize with uh, any athletes who are, who are playing competitive sport as well so it will completely change their life hmm. so there's definitely that that aspect to it that it will devastate them and that there are people um yeah on instagram other other platforms that, that do promote basically uh doping and uh what would you say to their maybe counter argument that the the side effects aren't that severe that they're over reported that uh, there's fear mongering on on the anti-doping side as well yeah 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 and i and i hear that argument that that there's certain ways to take performance enhancing drugs safely and but but the, the you know the fact of the matter is, is that these these side effects are documented in you know in rigorous scientific uh, study right often often as well this is the thing that these certain individuals don't really understand i think is that the drugs that are taken for performance enhancing effects have to be generally generally have to be taken at a much higher level than the, that they were ever designed for to get a, this this beneficial effect right so for example i don't know steroids might be designed uh, you know the design or the intentions are uh, say a small amount for medicinal reasons, but to get the, the performance enhancing effect, they have to be taken at a much higher higher level, which of course exacerbates and increases the the side effects of, of those. And I think another key factor is actually the the quality of the of the ingredients is is often uh, not what it should be. So I, I think there's very very strong evidence to counter those. You know the individuals who say that you know taking uh, banned substances is safe. You know there's, there's robust evidence to show that it's not safe. Right. And even it might not even be safe to take them once. You know one cycle of steroids can cause could potentially cause some problems. And even if it's not physical, it could be 
know, mood problems or right. psychological. Absolutely. Hmm. Yeah. So many things to end upon there on that. And uh, what about the individual uh, differences between one athlete to another that would maybe cause them to have more severe side effects? Is that being researched as well? I think I think generally the kind of the side effects among athletes is not is not really kind of studied in you know for ethical reasons in terms of right. But, but if you look, but if you look at if, and I think this is where it's really interesting now, and I think this is where the research will be going. Certainly, what we're looking into is is the extent to which so do, does it are, are people more likely to take say steroids or growth hormones because they've got anxiety about their body or does taking the steroids cause them anxiety and which you know is it which causes the other or is it a bit of both and i think i think certainly if you've got a predisposition for anxiety or depression or other mental health symptoms mm-hmm. then if you're taking a substance which can cause them then i think you're probably much you're more likely to be affected by that and I think that's where the research will be going in the future to look at those. The, the key fact, the, the, the key impact of different banned substances on, on mental health in more detail. Right. I think that's something that yeah, we're trying to do with some of the grant applications we're working on at the moment. Mm. Looking at specifically at mental health and in relation to doping. Yeah, that is fascinating. And, uh, yeah, I've got my predictions on that one as yeah. well, because uh, like in, in the concussion world, it's right there on the actual exam forms that if you've got a pre-consistent uh, uh, mental health condition or even learning challenge, that you're more predisposed to a concussion. And the example I use, it's like having a weak muscle. Um, there's a pathway in your brain that's not functioning as, as well. And you want to strengthen that muscle or part of the brain or pathway before you put an athlete on the field. And uh, then on top of that, yeah, we um, society is is literally pushing athletes into into the world of, of doping and uh, and all these other things, which is just uh, uh, excuse the language, but perfect shitstorm for these things to get worse and worse. And uh, it is, yeah. Uh, if you think about it, like how you know the rewards for athletes, you know, say for being a, a top five athlete to a top fifteen athlete in the world, in terms of the financial disparity between the two. Uh, and I think, but one thing we're looking at now is doping is not just confined to sport, and certainly at least sport, but actually in England, the UK, it's more prevalent among those who engage in exercise the gym goers the witch the dream girls people who got sorry sorry gym goers people who go to the oh, gym okay. <laughs> so that I, that I can see so, that so so we i think in england now you in england the population is i don't know what it is 50 or 60, 60 million 60 odd million and but now they're estimating we've got really good estimates that about a million are taking steroids and these are not competitive athletes these right. are people who just go to the gym three or four times a week. Well, maybe a bit more. But so it's actually becoming rife in uh, non-sport settings now as well. I, I could see that, yeah, and just then that show muscle, and uh, they're they're trying trying to 
to look for something that makes him feel better or have higher status as well. Wow. Yeah. This has been extremely insightful. And uh, where would people find you to, to get more information on this and, uh, and uh, uh, contact you if they, if they yeah. want to talk to you? Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd love it if people, if people reach out and talk to me. Uh, so I'm on LinkedIn and I, I regularly post on there. So my name is uh, Adam Nichols. You know, I try and post, you know, sort of two, three, four times a week about my latest research, other things I've got going on, projects that I'm running. Uh, yeah, I'd probably say probably LinkedIn, but my email address as well is a.nichols, uh, N-I-C-H-O-L-L-S, at paulhull.ac.uk. So yeah, they're probably the, the best way. So I'd say probably LinkedIn, just message me through LinkedIn. Really. Right, That's absolutely. Me. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, and let's go through basically the the titles of, of your four books then. And uh, I imagine it's Amazon then and the regular regular uh, book companies that, that they can find you. Yeah. So what's the main? Well, I've done a, a rugby book focused on rugby. Uh, and I wrote that with a former England international rugby union player, uh, European Cup winner, John Callard. Amazing okay. guy. Yeah, really good working with him. I learned a lot working with him on that book. Nice. Yeah. Uh, coping in sport, uh, theory, method, and related constructs. It's a bit of an old book, though, now. And then, obviously, the, the three editions of my psychology and sports coaching theory and practice book. So, yeah, Amazon is probably a good place for them really nice yeah i i'm rushing out and and looking at, at all those titles it it definitely piques piques my interest and uh absolutely amazing information and uh i i applaud you on the work you're doing again this this is really impactful information that in a world where athletes are, are getting pushed into into different realms that they shouldn't be and then of course you're going into the psychology aspect too to make people better athletes and enjoy their sport more and to to really combat uh, the the mental health aspect of it as well it goes far beyond the the doping side of things and stay tuned for the next episode of the hardy brain the show that takes athletic introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers take care have a great day bye